0: go to the end of the Old Testament and turn back about I think about five books back and you'll you'll come to it I remember whenever I got saved uh, and and of course uh, my pastor was very much aware of my ignorance and so I think he did it just for me but just about every service he'd say turn to whatever book and then he'd try to spend time leading some of us to it, you know, that wasn't familiar. He he could have said, turn to the book of John, and I wouldn't have had any, you know, had no idea where to turn uh, at first, but I quickly learned. I've often wondered why God wanted me to preach a certain sermon. I'm going to be honest. Sometimes It doesn't make any sense to me. But that's okay. I don't need to know the reason. I just need to deliver the message. And although I don't always know what the reason is, I know there is a reason. And that's good enough for me. That God has a reason for it. But whenever I look back on these more than 50 years now of preaching, I've come to believe that when... When God puts a message on a preacher's heart, it's because of what someone has been through or what someone is going through or what someone will go through. And sometimes it's all three of those things. The point is that someone needs this message, whether you think so or not, and it just might be you. You know, you might... Think to yourself, well, I've heard all of that before. I sure don't need this message today. No, but you might tomorrow. This is one of my very favorite sections of Scripture. Habakkuk chapter number 3 and verse number 17. And I say it's one of my favorite sections of Scripture because for me personally, it's been one of the most helpful The prophet said although the fig tree shall not blossom and neither shall fruit be in the vines the labor of the olive shall fail the field shall yield no meat the flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He will make my feet like hinds feet, and He will make me to walk upon mine high places. I refer to these verses so often that as I was thinking about the message, it literally seemed like I surely must have preached from these verses just recently. Uh, But I don't think that's the case. I still remember the very first time that I ever heard a sermon from this text. I still remember the first time that I ever preached a sermon from this text. And I remember some of the things that happened during the course of that service. Since that time, I've preached from it many times. And and, and some way or another, I'm always blessed by just reading these words. But When I decided to preach this message, I I, I made a a choice to not even look for any of my old notes. Some of them are gone. They were destroyed in the flood. I'm certain of that. But there were others that I could have looked back to for reference, and I thought, you know, I don't even want to do that. I, I just want to look at it like I'm looking at it for the very first time. And this little book is so very interesting, and we're not going to study the whole book, but it's necessary for us to put some pieces together if we're going to really feel the impact of what Habakkuk was saying here in these verses I just read. When you study the whole book, you'll notice that Habakkuk moves from doubting God, that's the way it begins, He's doubting God. He doesn't understand what's going on, so he's doubting God, but he moves from from doubting God to debating with God. I've always been amazed at how tolerant God is of his children. Boy, whenever you think about it, especially in the Psalms and the times that the psalmist just came right out and said, Lord, you're mistreating me. You're treating me like an enemy. And and yet, even in making statements like that, God was so very patient with him. So Habakkuk starts out by doubting God, he moves to debating God, and then he moves to defending God, and now he ends up delighting in God. In other words, he is telling us that he has learned about responding to tough times in his life. And here in these verses I just read, we see that he had made a choice to rejoice. Listen, troubles and trials are a fact of life, and and th- there's no way out of them. I mean, it's going to happen sooner or later, and we can't choose whether we're going to have them or not, But but we can make a choice in how we respond to those troubles and trials. And this... This, at least in my thinking, is one of the most tremendous testimonies to be found anywhere. It teaches us that we can choose our response even when we cannot change our circumstances. I've heard people say, in regards to several different things, my life is over. You know, this happened or that happened. My life is just over. I heard somebody say that on, on TV uh, in a live show uh, here, I don't know, six months ago or so. My, my life has just ended. You know, I'll never be happy again. God forbid that we ever get to pl- the place that our happiness depends on things that happen in this world. We've got a choice in this. If we're a Christian, we've got a choice in how we respond to these difficulties. Now, most of our complaining has to do with the fact that we haven't been counting our blessings. Because for the child of God, the blessings always outweigh the burdens. I don't care what you're going through. You say, yeah, but I got cancer less than six months to live. I'm bankrupt living on the street. You don't know how bad I've got it. But listen, if you're a Christian, your blessings outweigh your burdens because you are a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're just going through that. I know it's not easy, but you're just going through that. Are you with me? You're just going through that. You've got eternity as a child of God, as a joint heir of Christ. So regardless of how you feel or what you think, your blessings always outweigh your burdens as a child of God. The problem is this. The problem is that although we have a choice in how we respond, we don't always choose wisely. We don't. So many times we make the wrong decision, we take the wrong road, and all of a sudden we're bitter and complaining just like this book started out where he's doubting God and debating with God. We want to argue that God's not being fair. And what we really need to do when we're going through something like that is to consider the grace of God. That is the undeserved favor of Of God. suppose God withheld all of these things from you. Suppose God just said, you know, the bank's closed, no more. How would you feel about Him then? Would you still rejoice in the Lord if the Lord said, that's it, no more? Here's something that we all need to remember. God would be perfectly justified in doing that. If God cut us off today and said no more, I'm going to withhold all of these blessings I've been giving you all of these years. I'm going to withhold those from now on. God would be justified in doing that. And we would never be justified in withholding our praise from Him. Never. Regardless of how bad it is. You know, it's easy to say, Well, I love the Lord because, and I'll just leave it blank there. I love the Lord because He, you fill in the blank, but what if He didn't? Would you love the Lord anyway? Or you say, well, I praise the Lord because the Lord did this or the Lord did that. But would you still praise Him if He didn't? I guess you could say if all you had was God, would that be enough to make you happy? If that's all you have, you just had God. And whatever it was He chose to give you, would you still be happy? Now you need to really think about that. Listen, it, it, it might be, what if, for example, what if I said, I love this church because it supports me financially. But what if He couldn't? Should my love for the church lessen because the church got in a situation where it said we don't have any money in the bank? Or what if, for example, uh, your wife said, I love you because you're wealthy. (laughs) Now that might be the reason she loves you, but she's not going to come out and say that. But what if she did? What if she said, I love you because you're wealthy and... uh, and you go bankrupt. Think about that what What if your husband said, "I love you because i'll leave that blank for sure." <laughs> I love you because you could fill in you're you're the best cook I know. <laughs> wow, you know, or you know uh-uh. but what if they aren't or what if they can't? you know? What if your kid, you know, you you said, I love you because you always obey me. I just love you. You're a wonderful kid. What are you going to do when they don't? Now, I mention that because this is the kind of love that some people have for God. They love, quote, unquote, they love him as long as he gives them certain things. But what if he stops? You know, like someone said, we don't love God because life is good. We love God because He is good. Amen. Amen. I mean, look, that's the way that, that, that real love is. We love God not because of what He does, but because of who He is. Not because of what He gives. Now let's get back to the story, because here we see the picture of a man who obviously has lost everything. The crops aren't growing. The cattle are dying. I mean, everything is gone and all he has left is God. And notice verse 18. Yet, everything's gone now. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. That reminds me of someone. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul when he says, I have learned, didn't come natural, I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. Now that ought to be true of every Christian. But the biggest obstacle for most of us is believing that this is somehow impossible at least impossible for us. In other words, you've convinced yourself that uh, that this is out of your reach. My answer to that is this, that if one man can, any man can, if he does what the other man did. So if Habakkuk could say, you know, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. If you do what He did, and we'll look at that in a minute, if you do what He did, you can do what He did. And whenever Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in, doesn't make a difference what the circumstances are. He said, I know how to abound. That is, I know how to have plenty and I know how to be in poverty. It really doesn't make any difference because none of that affects whether I'm going to be content or not. And if he could do that, so can you. I'm, I'm afraid, you know, that, uh, you know, I'm not a mind reader, by the way, but I just, I think I know what some of you are thinking about now. You're thinking, well, it's easy for you to say that, preacher, but how? How, how, how can I do that? You say, you you just don't know, preacher, what I'm going through. No, I I don't know what you're going through. I have no idea what all your struggles might be. And I, I probably never will. But I know what Habakkuk was going through, at least to some extent, he's lost it all. And he said, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. What was it that enabled him to do that? What was it that enabled Paul to learn to be content? How is it that you and I can choose to make the proper response to bad situations so that we can still be happy and rejoice in the Lord and praise the Lord even when the worst thing imaginable has happened in our life? How is that possible? Well, In this chapter, there are four things. Now, we don't have time to really take all of this apart and unpack it and really study this chapter. But it will become obvious just by looking at a few verses that there are four factors involved in this man's attitude. Look back to verse number 2, for example. And here we see the first thing that's necessary, and that is to desire the will of God. I want you to listen to what he says here. Oh Lord, I have heard Thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive Thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. Now to get the real impact of that, you'd have to read back to you know what is said before, but it's obvious from this that at that point, he is no longer looking at the circumstances. At the disaster that is happening all around him. Not only for him, but for those that he loves. I mean, the world seems to be falling apart right before his very eyes. But when we look at verse 2, it tells us that he's no longer looking at the circumstances here. The prophet's perspective has changed from earth to eternity. Look at verse number 6 and that becomes obvious. He's not just looking at things here on earth. He stood and measured the earth and beheld and drove the sun to the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. I mean, we see Him here praying for revival, you'll notice. That God will revive His work. And He's looking at it in the context of all of eternity. Instead of pouting, he's praising God because he realizes that only eternity will reveal the great things that God is going to accomplish through these difficulties. And that's why Paul said in Romans eight eighteen, he said, "You know these things, these troubles, and what have you in life? You you can't compare them to the glory that awaits. There's there's no comparison." That's why I said a while ago, as a child of God, our blessings always outweigh our burdens. Now look at verse number, verse number 3, and here's the second thing. Not only, not only must we desire the will of God, but we must dwell upon the works of God. He says God came, and he's looking back now, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. Stop and think about that. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of His praise. You know, to change our perspective, sometimes it helps us to look at the past. In other words, whenever you're worrying about what needs to be done, maybe you ought to think about what God has already done. Because that's what we do. We sit around, we our hands, we worry ourselves sick, Oh, I just don't know what is going to happen. Everything is going wrong. I lost this. I lost that. I can't ever be happy again. And just stop for a minute. If you're a child of God, just stop for a little bit and look back in your life and think about what God has already done for you. And if that's not enough, open your Bible and begin to read throughout the pages of God's Word what God has done down through the ages. Read about the ministry of Jesus who gave sight to the blind and then stopped the ears of the deaf and He raised the dead and on and on and on. Think about what God has done. Think about the works of God because whenever we look back at what God has done, it changes the way that we look at the present. That gives us courage to look toward the future. That's what's going on here. Now look, at when we come down to verse 17 and the verses I just read, here's the third thing that we must do if we're going to learn how to respond to those difficult times. Not only must we desire the will of God and dwell on the works of God, but we need to dedicate ourselves to the worship of God. I hope you noticed that that's what these verses is all about. This is a picture of worship here in these verses. I I don't know how I could ever emphasize that enough. How important worship is. Because it's through worship that we move from our fear to faith. I've often spoke about, about worship as being the springboard to our Christian service. So many people think, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't I don't, need the church. And we've got too many Lone Ranger Christians that think they can make it on their own and go out. And, you know, I love the Lord enough. I don't need the church. They'll just drag me down, blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you, you need to worship with God's people because there's so many times, you know, that we come together and all of us have been struggling all week with our difficulties. And we, we just need something to propel us out into the the week ahead. And that's like a, a springboard. Amen. Remember so many times back whenever I was a kid and we had the old clothesline prop. You had mama's hanging up clothes and every clothesline had a prop. I mean, Because when you put the clothes on it, I mean, it's going to drag the ground, get the clothes dirty, so you had to prop up the clothesline. Look, that's, that's the way it is with our worship services. We need something to prop us up, hold us up, and to keep us going. And it's through worship that we develop what, well, I guess some people have called it a thank God anyway attitude. That's kind of the way it ought to be. Thank God anyway. You know, I I didn't vote for this to happen, but thank God anyway. I don't mean that you have to thank God for your, you know, for your disease. I don't mean that you have to thank God for this or that, but you can thank God for being God. And thank God for all that He's done for you and promised to do in the future. We need that thank God anyhow attitude. Somebody suggested several years ago there's a reason for that. Number one, His sovereignty never changes. God is God. He can do anything He wants to. He does do anything He wants to do. Nothing ever comes into your life unless God allows it. Now, it might be something that God did not, you know, plan specifically for you. It might even be something that, you know, that is... In one way, not even within His will normally, but God allows it. Are, are you, am I making sense? In, in, in other words, God either plans it or God permits it. God said, you know, I, I know this, this, this is going to be a painful thing. You made a choice. This is what you wanted to do. And the only way you're going to learn your lessons for me to let you do it. So God permits some things that normally He would not have chosen for us. God is sovereign and whatever He decides to do, that's what He's going to do. And that never changes. Secondly, His salvation never ceases. So we can thank God anyhow. His salvation never ceases. Somebody has failed you or you have failed everybody. Whatever the case, salvation never ceases. God doesn't have any orphans. I mean, look, if you're a child of God, you'll always be a child of God. Not only that, His strength doesn't collapse. I'm so glad for what it says there in Hebrews 13. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Amen. Boy, you can rest your weary head on that. His strength never will collapse. (laughs) Whatever He did, He can still do. You can depend upon Him. And we remind ourselves of that when we gather to worship God. Dedicate yourself to worship. There's so many people say, boy, I've got so many troubles in life, I just don't feel like going to church. You know, I just sit there and I worry and I fret and I don't get anything out of it. Let me tell you, you never needed to be in church any more in your life than when you've got problems. You need what nothing else can can possibly provide for you. You need to be with God's people with your attention upon God. But then there's a fourth thing. And I think this is the one that generally gets overlooked. In fact whenever I think back over any message I've ever heard on it or anything I've ever read about it, verse 19 just gets lumped in together with verse 17 and 18. But there's something different about verse number 19. And I think it's important. Remember, I said there are four things that we need to do. We have to, we have, to have a desire for the will of God. Dwell upon the works of God, dedicate ourselves to the worship of God. But look at verse number 19 tonight uh, uh, this morning. Verse 19 tells us that we need to decide to witness for God. Notice he says, "The Lord God is my strength." Now notice he's been talking here about the situation and he's talking about what he is going to do. That I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. But he changes now from praise to a proclamation. It's as though now... You know, he has been looking up to God and praising God and now he turns to the congregation and makes this proclamation telling them who he discovered God to be. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet and He will make me to walk upon mine high places. What a great way to end this book. Instead of being focused on the problems, notice his eyes are upon God. That, that's where we all should be looking. I, I don't know your life story. There's some here this morning, without any doubt, that are in poor health, I and mean, that is a way of wearing you down sometimes. You, you just get tired of that that struggle, especially as you get older and You know, all of a sudden, whenever you get to the point that (laughs) doctor appointments become a part of the weekly conversation, well, you know, Bev and I have to check our calendars. Of course, she's got a whole lot more appointments than I do. We have to check our calendars to make sure the day is clear because a doctor appointment, after a while, you just get tired of doctor appointments. You get tired of CBS calling you saying you got another refill ready. Uh, or the doctor saying you need another test. So listen, there are those here that are in poor health, and there are people that are there are people that are flat broke. I I, I mean they they don't they don't know how they're going to pay their bills, and there's some people worse than that. They don't even have a job. There's some folks going through divorce or maybe searching for a runaway child. Let me tell you, if you don't know what it's like to walk the streets of a city knocking on door after door after door with a picture of one of your kids saying, have you seen this girl? If you're not a parent, you have no idea what that's like. And there might be someone that's just in that condition here today. Your kid has chosen to take the way of the world and they're out there in the world and they're going to get hurt and you know it. Or maybe you're suffering a loss of a different kind. It might be you recently, you recently made a trip to the cemetery to bury somebody that you love dearly. And you see that list can go on and on and on, and I feel so helpless this morning because as I stand here, I know that there's nothing I can do to change the circumstances of your life. I can't raise the dead. I can't heal the sick. I can't. I can't look. I can't storm, uh, calm the stormy sea. I. I can't do those things. But. Let me tell you, I know where you can find help, and I know where you can find hope. Notice he says, the Lord is my strength. Do you see what he's doing? He's now declaring what he discovered. And that's why I say that deciding to witness for God is so important in being able to rejoice in the Lord. If you look if it's if if your relationship with God is not something that is even worth talking about, it's no wonder you're not rejoicing in the Lord. We need to make that decision, you know, that I'm going to rejoice in the Lord and I'm going to tell others about it. The whole key to this book. And the key, in fact, to your life is found in chapter 2 and verse number 4 where he says, but the just shall live by his faith. I could spend an hour just on that one comment. Believe me, there have been so many volumes written about that one statement, but the just shall live by His faith. Let me tell you what gets us in trouble. And that's living according to our feelings. It's whenever our feelings get in the way, that's where we really get in trouble. Now, there's not anything wrong with feelings. You can have good feelings as well as bad feelings, but but you make a mistake to ever be driven... Motivated by any kind of feelings. It's not about feelings. It's about faith. And faith simply means trusting God to do what He promised He would do. And that's what he's saying. The just shall live by His faith. That's what Habakkuk is doing. He says, the Lord is my strength. And it's when we put our trust in the Lord, first of all, for salvation, but secondly, even after we've been saved, remember the just. This is talking about those that have been justified, those that are living righteous, those that are God's people. The just shall live by his faith. By the way, the Bible says, and whatever is not of faith is sin. Hebrews 11, 6 says, For without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, some people do everything under the sun. They'll read their Bible and say their prayers and give their money and do everything in the world. Why? Because they want to please God, but then they refuse to trust God whenever the, when the sky is falling. and That's sin. Oh, no, no. I'm just depressed. No, no. You're sinning against God. You see, we keep wanting to justify our failures. You say, yeah, but we all do it. Sure we do. I almost preached a message from about Jeremiah and his great depression. Here, he, he's my hero, you might say, of the Old Testament. I love Jeremiah. But do you realize that he even went through a time where he said, Lord, I quit, I resign, I'm through. I'm not going to even mention your name anymore. You see, there are going to be things that will momentarily knock you off of your spiritual equilibrium. But here's the key. The Bible says, though a just man... Isn't that who we're talking about? The just man that lives by his faith? You know, the Bible says, a just man, the righteous man, shall fall... Seven times. Even if he falls seven times, he'll not be utterly cast down or forsaken. Because what? God said, I'll get him back up. I'll lift him up again. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty because you go through fits of depression. Spurgeon did that. I'm not trying to make you guilty because you cry at a funeral service. That's not the point. The point is that regardless of what you're going through, You should never forget that as a child of God, your blessings outweigh your burdens. You have a reason to rejoice. And I've just given you the road to rejoicing. Whether you take it or not, well, that's up to you. But I've given you these four things straight from the Word of God that will help you be able to rejoice when everything else is going wrong in your life. You can still rejoice. And let me tell you, 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 you desperately need to do that. Why? Because Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. You lose the ability to rejoice and you're going to get in a world of hurt because you're going to be a weak Christian. You might be on your way to heaven, but you're going to sure make a mess of things while you're here. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Oh, you know, you let a drunkard stagger into the service or some member, you know, they got backslidden and they've been drinking. Boy, we expect them to run down the aisle and repent and get things right with God. Or somebody did this or somebody did that. But some way or another, we get it in our mind, it's alright if we lose the joy of our salvation and we never rejoice and... Here we come dragging in the service and the invitation's given and we get up and walk out of the service like not a thing in the world wrong. Have you got a bulletin? Look on the back of that bulletin. I think it's on the back of the, the little cartoon they have put in there. Somebody read that. Brother Kenneth, read that. Read that. Now that was the old woman, you know, saying to the old man, Pastor wants us to smile in church. I don't want you to just smile in church. I want you to rejoice and praise the Lord, even if the sky is falling and everything else is going wrong. It doesn't make any difference. You say, it makes a difference to me. That's what the problem is. You're too worried about the difference it makes to you. Think about the damage that it does to the testimony of God when we drag around like God is dead or God has mistreated us, we ought to be rejoicing in the Lord regardless of the circumstances. You owe it to yourself to get this straight. I'm not asking you to do it for me. You owe it to yourself to be the the most joyful Christian that you can possibly be. Whatever, what, Look, whatever the difficulty is, whatever your response has been, you can change all of that right here this morning. Say, you know, I've been making bad decisions all of my life in regards to my circumstances, but this is going to be a new day. I'm going to head down a new road. I'm going to desire nothing but the will of God and do nothing but the work of God. I'm going to get back in church and worship God and then I'm going to get out there and I'm going to witness to everybody else about what a great God I've got. Amen. Amen. You do that. You do that. And you'll be able to do what He did. Amen. Let's all stand. Father. Lord, how we thank You for giving us the record of the great things that You've done. And Lord, we we see over and over again, as we look back through the pages of your, Your precious Word, how good people have fallen over and over again. And yet, they've discovered in You the strength they needed, not only to survive, but to thrive. And to live a productive life. And Lord, I just pray this morning that You'll help somebody in whatever whatever their great, the great need of their life might be. Whether it's salvation or whether it's somebody that although they're on their way to heaven, they're just really having a, a miserable time of it. God, help them this morning. Help them to see that joy is possible. That contentment is really, truly possible even in this life and under these difficult circumstances. And I pray this morning each and every one of us might make the choice to go down that road. For we beg it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. now as we stand and while we sing, we invite you to come this morning and do business with God, whatever it is that He's laid on your heart. (laughs) Amen. <laughs>